Welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles, a podcast about cybersecurity, entrepreneurship, and business. Each week, I interview an expert working in the field of security. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, a security program management platform for VCSOs and security experts. For years as the general counsel for various startups, I suffered from what I called the security questionnaire problem. So one day I figured that if no one else was solving that problem, I would. I started this podcast much the same way because I went running one day and I tried to find a podcast on virtual CISOs and I only found two. So just like how I started ClearOps, I thought I would start my own podcast based on what I was looking for. Our guest today is Corey White. Corey, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. To get us started, please tell the audience about your background and please include where your passion for cybersecurity came from. Okay, so my passion for cybersecurity came completely naturally. I started working in 1995 and I didn't know cybersecurity was a thing at that time. Uh, so first gig was working for, for Microsoft and supporting Windows 95 the day it came out. And security really wasn't a thing you know, that we even talked about. Um, but my next gig was working at a company called International Network Services, INS. I um, ended up building the internet for a lot of large companies, connecting them to the internet, switching them from Novell Network Netware to Microsoft and TCP IP. And when you connect a company to the internet, then it hit us. We're like, um, we probably need a firewall, okay? <laughs> so I put in one of the early firewalls, like the PIX firewall from Cisco had just come out. And so I, I put in a PIX firewall and next thing I know, more companies needed firewalls. Then more people needed VPNs. And then, then I, next thing I'm doing IDS. And then I'm the security guy at this consulting company uh, for the, the Southwest region. And it just went from there. So that's how I got into cybersecurity. And it was new. It was different. It wasn't just networking. It was the next level, networking plus security on top of it. So that's my start in the, the mid to late 90s of getting into cybersecurity. Okay, so take us and keep going on your journey um, in in your career because I think there's a lot of interesting things that we're going to pull into what you're doing now. So yes. after that, where did you go? Okay, so I, I worked there um, for eight and a half years. Went through the dot com boom and bust, and the good news about where how I survived that because we just just like kind of now companies are doing layoffs, they had to do layoffs during the dot com bust, and. And how I survived is by doing the assessment, full assessment, and then I would come back and do the remediation, which would take months. And this, in this case, I think the project was almost a year to remediate the cybersecurity at this healthcare company here in Southern California. So I, it was foreign to me to do an assessment by itself and then not actually come and fix the problem. But then I realized there are a bunch of companies out there, they're just going to do a security assessment. They're just going to do a pen test and walk away and hand it back to that customer and say, good luck. You figure out how to implement it. Well, any, any recommendation we gave during our assessments, we actually had to know how to implement it and know it was the right recommendation to actually fix the problem because we were doing it. So um, that's how I stayed at this company um, so long. Um um, I kept doing assessments and remediation. Um, I never forget, in, in I think it was 2001 or so, I was in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and a, a company I was uh, brought in to do a security plan for, but they had no security. They just needed a plan. 
So I did the plan and they were a government contractor. And then they called me back. It was right before Christmas and said, Corey, uh-oh, the shit hit the fan. Like, what are you talking about? And they said, well, remember that plan you put together? Well, we just got broken into and they stole all of our confidential data. We need you to implement that plan in three months. So I assembled a team of 10 people. And in three months, we got them, you know, DISCAP certified, DISCAP at the time, DISCAP, DICAP certified uh, at the time. Um, in three months and congressional representatives came and and uh, the company will go out of business if they didn't get that certification. So we got that done. So again, the assessment and remediation life cycle has just been ingrained into me. Then in 2004, I joined a company called Foundstone here in Southern California. That's where, you know, you know George Kurz and Stuart McClure, Kevin Mandia had just left. And so I'll never forget, I was in the interview with, um, you know, Chris Procise, who was running um, services at the time. And I said, so let me get this straight. I just got to do half my job. I'm just going to do the assessment and I don't have to do any remediation. He's like, no, we don't do that. We just do the pen testing and assessment and all that. I was like, okay, all right, that, that's easy. Okay, <laughs> not complicated at all. Um, yeah. So I joined, <laughs> I joined there. And then in, um, by the end of 2004, we had gotten acquired by, by McAfee. Mm-hmm. And I started doing some incident response as well because, you know, Kevin Mandia had just left and there was still a, a, a pretty big incident response team. Not big. We had about four or five people. Um, and I started doing the incidents that the McAfee sales reps were handing over to us. And I realized that um, the nation state threat actors and and APTs were happening before they were even being called APTs. And so we ended up um, doing a lot of incident response. So I got investment from McAfee. I said, I'm going to build a global incident response team just to respond to all these incidents that uh, the McAfee sales reps were handing over. Next thing I know, I'm doing some of the largest incidents in the world and mm-hmm. this incident response team. And also I became director of the West and director of the West, I was running the pen test assessment side of the house. And then McAfee said, Hey, you guys are pretty good at the services thing. Take over the McAfee services thing. So I'm running the McAfee services. It's incident response. And they found still on the pen test assessment compliance, you know, all of that. So I got a full view of everything that was going on in a particular customer. Did that until 2012. And then 2012, that's when we started, um, um, silence. I was employee number 12. I came in. This is my only chance to actually start a security program from the beginning, a services program from the beginning. So I started you know, again doing assessments, pen testing. But when the product came out, I actually made it into where we were actually getting into an outcome. We, we would not stop until their, their systems or endpoints were all locked down and secure. They would hand it back to the, the customer but then I would monitor them. I know six months later, they would disable everything and it wasn't locked down in security anymore. I was like, oh, come on. And then they would call us and they have an incident. So after that, we would, um, I built a managed service called um, Silence Guard, where it was like a continuous subscription, where the customer didn't have to do anything. We we're just going to you know, bring in the product, install and configure it, manage it, maintain it all for one set price. And that worked really well. And that's when we got acquired in 2019 by, by BlackBerry. And Silence Guard is still used by BlackBerry to this day. But what I figured out is, okay, that's just endpoint. What about vulnerability management? What about multi-factor? What about uh, IT asset management, security awareness training, all the things that the company needs? Why don't we do that same model? And that's the genesis of Savitar. That's how we we built this uh, to be that outsourced cybersecurity vendor, you know, very much like a Rippling or Augusto or a Trinet uh, for HR. We're that 
for cybersecurity. And Cybertar is your company now? Yes, it is. And you started that when? In 2019. Okay. And I, I want to talk a little bit more about that in a second. First, I want to go back to McAfee for a second, um, because you uh, you were leading a bunch of divisions there, but you were leading, as you said, incident response, which I find fascinating because you must have some of the most interesting stories <laughs> about incidents, considering it's McAfee. Um, wasn't that a high pressure all the time working type of job? And that was just one of your jobs, but it was, wasn't that very high pressure, high stakes? Um, yes, absolutely it was. Um, but anybody that's done incident response or threat hunting, it, it is absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the types of um, hacks are out there, what these threat actors are doing. Um, I'll never forget, there's one um, <clears throat> DOD contractor. Anytime they saw me come into the building and I would go into this conference room and that's what we were doing, managing the incidents, um, the people were like, oh shit, Corey's here. Something bad has happened. And we couldn't talk about it, right? No, we couldn't say what was happening. But when they knew, if they saw me, something bad had happened, um, like an incident. Um, other ones, like I can talk about that, the, the public. Um, I, I did the first Sony uh, incident when um, Anonymous was attacking them globally. That's huh. when um, on PlayStation, they were, they um, Sony tried to to sue a PlayStation hacker and, and then um, Anonymous came after all of Sony. And that took me about five and a half months. I worked every single day, nights, weekends. Um, it was uh, anonymous globally, uh, attacking um, Sony and all their Sony companies uh, globally. And so wow. that, that was that was pretty amazing. That was exhausting. Uh, by the time I was done, I actually had, had to take a couple of weeks off and, and just yeah. kind of sat. I've never worked um, five and a half months every single day before in my life. So yes, yes. it's stressful. Well, and which might tie into Cybertar, um, running your own business, also stressful. Have you had any five and a half month straight working periods with Cybertar? <laughs> <laughs> um, with it being my own business, I have I have one requirement. I, I don't work on Saturdays um, unless I absolutely have to. Um, and and that's just to spend time with the family. At least yeah. they have that one day. Other than that, uh, especially since the economic downturn, um, I've worked, um, there have been days I've worked, you know, 15, 16, 17 hour days um, and then just got up and came back. And for instance, like I'm in the office early now uh, doing this podcast. And I when I left, that was the last car in the parking lot when I got in you know, earlier this morning. Um, I was the first car here. So um, that's just that's just the life, um, especially during the economic downturn. Any difference in it being your own business versus when you're working for somebody else that you feel? There's a lot of difference, actually. Um, but I think it's a few pieces. When I have this thing, I always bet on myself. And so when you're betting on yourself, that means that uh, regardless of what happens, you have more, you have control. Like uh -huh. you don't have to worry about other people and other spots. Like this is all me. So if I want to work, you know, all day, every single day I can, but the results come back to me. Um, if you're working for someone else, you could work those same hours, 
Um, but at the end of the day, you could make someone else really, really successful. Um, and they may not care as much about you and your success as, as you do. So if you're going to work that hard, you might as well work that hard for yourself. And, and so that's, that's the mantra I, I have. Um, and I've been blessed in, in all of my jobs. I've had fantastic, uh, bosses and management. Um, and they pretty much have let me run my own businesses within the business. Same yeah. thing that, that Foundstone, running the West. Um, I got to do that at Silence. I had my own P&L. Um, so I, I've been blessed my whole career. And, and once we got acquired uh, by BlackBerry, you know, a, a lot changed and that happens in acquisitions. So I, I wanted that autonomy back again. And so that was mm -hmm. one of the motivations for starting my own business. Yeah. And I mean, a little known fact, I think, is that BlackBerry is now a, a, a cybersecurity company, if I, if I remember correctly, um, yeah. no longer a handheld device uh, company. So um, one of my favorite questions that I have to ask uh, guests on the show is, what is the hardest part about running your own business? Um, the, the hardest part, I, I, this will sound crazy. There is no one hard part. Okay. Um, it it is. I, I was talking to another another founder about a few weeks ago, and and he was saying when he was the CEO of, of his another company, it wasn't his company, but he was CEO of it. How stressed out he was, um, to the point where he was, you know, physically sick and and you know coming home and drinking too much, or you know, just it wasn't working for him personally for his family. And then I'll say the same thing, you know, being, being an executive, there, there are so many additional stressors that you have to deal with uh, being within a larger company that the people don't realize that you're going through. Um, and I never forget at one point, you know, one, one of my employees, like, Corey, look, you're strung out. I wasn't strung out on anything. It just looked that way. It was uh, the stress. And so when you compare that to being CEO, CEO of your own company and, and it's just not as stressful. You know what I mean? It, it just isn't. Even though it may be harder because you have to bear the brunt of everything, uh -huh. the stress level is still lower. Um, I'm more relaxed now um, in a challenging economy being CEO of my own company than I was um, at another company. So um, huh. I'll take this. That's, that is, first of all, it's the first time anyone's responded that way. Um, so I guess what you would say is that it is more enjoyable for you to be running your own business than it was working for somebody else. I mean, that's pretty clear what you just said. How was, I, I'm kind of guessing based on your experience at Silence, but how how did that decision come about of I'm going to start Cybertar? What was the impetus behind it? Well, a few things. Um, number one, when you look at the cybersecurity um, industry, I, I say it now a lot, and I'm gonna say it, I'll say it on this uh, podcast. Um, how are we gonna make cybersecurity not turn into big pharma? Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, there you can't think of a company. There are very few companies that say, "I'm gonna go and outsource my cybersecurity to this company. They're gonna focus on prevention first, and then they're gonna detect and respond. Uh, they are gonna secure us, lock us down first. Uh, but there are literally hundreds of incident response companies. You know, there, there, there are hundreds of, of companies that just do one product, one piece of the puzzle. Um, and, and there are pieces of the puzzle 
uh, these products they put together, a lot of them are just a feature sometimes um, and don't have any preventative capability. They say, we'll give you visibility. But most companies don't have a cybersecurity team to be looking at the visibility to know what to do to respond to it. And so there's a ton of money made in cybersecurity off of monitoring only, detect and respond. I mean, there, there are some MSSPs that are going to become unicorns off of just sending alerts. And I think that is ridiculous. Um, if you wanted to secure your home or your car, you wouldn't say, send me an alert when somebody jumps into the front seat of my Tesla. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's too late. And I've let doors and windows down uh, and I just want to alert when somebody gets into my car. No, I don't. And I say that being an, an ex-penetration tester, uh, an ex-incident incident response person. So if you really think about how it breaks down, an incident, and by the time you get the alert, just to say if I exploit a vulnerability, get on someone's systems at, at 1 a.m., okay? Maybe that sends an alert, Okay. And then if it takes you a couple hours or whoever the MSSP to respond, then by then I've escalated privileges. I've probably gotten credentials. I may have even expatriated data and I may have compromised more accounts. And that's usually within an hour, a couple hours time span, depending on how you know good and vulnerable the systems are. But that all yeah. happens in the middle of the night. And you don't oh, have yeah, exactly. So you don't have enough time to go and fix and clean all that up. So an alert and monitor only approach isn't going to scale unless you have someone that's going to sit there and block. The other piece that really has changed and really quickly, I think it's important for people to think about the number of common vulnerabilities and exploits, CVEs. Last yeah. year, we had about 25,000. Um, this year, it's probably land around 28,000 for the year. So last year, that the math comes out to about 68 per day. So if you aren't continually scanning, patching, remediating, and then blocking execution of malware on endpoints and making sure you have multi-factor in place, which most companies aren't doing those three things very well, um, you will be compromised. And so cybersecurity is not a one-time pen test exercise. It is a continuous exercise. And people have to think about it. When you leave home, you close and lock your door every day. You're not going to say, well, I closed my door and, and locked, locked it last month. Um, no, it needs to happen every single day, every single time. Because the hackers are trying to hack you 24-7. So that's, that's the mindset we have to be in. But as an industry, we're not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Um, talk about Cybertar. How, how many employees do you have right now? Right now, we have about 15 employees. And what are the type of customer that you specialize in helping? We help pretty much all small and medium-sized businesses. Um, the sweet spot ends up being around 1,500 employees and, and below. Sometimes it goes higher. Uh, there, there are companies out there. I literally was talking to a company um, yesterday and, and the CIO uh, and also had security. Like, she's like, we're a staffing agency. Um, our goal is staffing, not cybersecurity. But we, we made a decision to use best of breed products. But at the end of the day, we need someone to manage all of this and make it more efficient. And so what, what we've done here at Savitar is we brought in enterprise grade products because in my background, I've always used enterprise grade products. And when I look at some of the incidents with some legacy or lower end products, they've been easily bypassed. Um, mm -hmm. but we have to think about it. The hackers are using enterprise grade attack vectors against small to medium sized businesses. <laughs> so you have to match like for like. You can't say, I mean, buy the cheapest product out there 
and then the hackers are using AI and all these advanced tools to hack into you, it just won't work. So yeah. that's what we do for our customers and that's how we bring value to them. Great. And then um, what is what is the, um, talk a little bit more about how you decided on the features that you offer. You just talked about the enterprise security uh, technology you offer, but the features that you offer and how you sell it to your customers. Yeah, great question, Caroline. So um, how I've always done everything, I reverse engineer everything. So okay. having a hack mindset, you're like, all right, how do I hack this? How do you reverse engineer it? So when you think about, okay, how do companies get hacked? Uh, for I don't know, 10 plus years, I always contributed to the Verizon Global Data Breach Report. And so when you contribute to that, you know how the hacks actually happen. Like, oh, okay, where they're exploiting vulnerabilities. Well, we need to have a process where we're continually scanning and patching and fixing those vulnerabilities so it's no criticals and highs. Okay, well, they're executing malware and dropping their, their hack tool sets on these systems. Okay, we need to block that from being dropped in those systems. Okay, well, they're compromising credentials. We need to have multi-factor in place uh, to secure them. And so the, the secret sauce here is we don't sell products or services. We only sell solutions. So if we just sold you sold your vulnerability scanner and said, hey, here you go. Now you just have something telling you you have more problems. But what if you sold you a scanner, a patching um, um, solution, and a technical team to go through and continually scan, patch, and actually remediate these systems for you uh, on a continuous basis? Now you actually have a solution. You have an outcome. You have a before and after that can be measured. You take that across, you know, like I said, vulnerability management, endpoint, multi-factor, cloud security, you know, security awareness training, IT asset management, the same process for every single one where we're fully installing, configuring, assess, and remediating on a continuous basis and then maintaining that clean, secure state. I mean, it's 100% clear to me that you are very focused on solution um, from your days of of assessing and then remediating and how you always combine the two to today and i can't believe it but we are really close to the end of time here so i'm going to ask a couple of quick fire questions of you so the first one is what is your number one security tip that you like to tell people particularly your friends at social events <laughs> um, i let them know the hackers have your password already so if you're using usernames and passwords uh, they're already in um, go look on the dark web and my data is on the dark web. So it's already there. So mm -hmm. please, please use multi-factor um, and, and set it up properly for everything, your banks, your email accounts, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Good tip. Um, any favorite cybersecurity or business book, podcast, website, anywhere where you go to educate yourself? Oh, um, cybersecurity in particular, I'm actually going to um, dodge that part of it. I'm going to say a fantastic book that, that helped me start this business is, is called Bold, B-O-L-D by Peter Diamantis. And what it talks about is, uh, the subtitle of it is um, How to Go Big and Create Wealth. Um, and the purpose of that book is uh, how do you hack into everything? What is a different approach? How can you actually make this world better and uh, create wealth um, at the same time? And, and that's what the book talks about. It, it's just fascinating read. I recommend everyone check it out. Okay, definitely will. Well, okay, cool. Um, all right. And so thanks so much for your time. I really enjoy talking to you. Like I said, it went by super fast. Uh, can you please tell our listeners how, where they can find you? 
Yeah, yeah, you absolutely can find me on on LinkedIn, uh, Corey D. White on on LinkedIn. Um, also, you can go to Savitar.ai. Uh, please sign up for Framium. The last piece that I have to and I share is that we we built a model for SMBs, right? And so you literally can go in and get free external scans, free gap analysis and assessments, uh, free security policies, all for freemium. And if you do decide to subscribe, you can click subscribe and, and subscribe to solutions to solve some of the gaps you have from your gap analysis all in our platform. So we've made it easy to uh, use freemium, get value already, and then subscribe if you want to actually secure your company. Yeah, I highly recommend uh, people check it out. And if you are listening, you can find this blog and all of our podcasts on Substack and Apple Podcasts. So, Corey, really appreciate your time today. It was fascinating talking to you, and I hope to do it again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Caroline.